it's two o'clock, at least on the Pacific Coast, and it is five o'clock on the East Coast. Welcome to all of you who are joining us today. And today we're talking about how to keep your college from closing. I got a few images uh, from uh, what's going on. Actually, it's in it was interesting, this uh, uh, cover from Boston Magazine actually was from January of 2019. So yeah, this has been a hot topic in higher ed, and and frankly, it's it's something that I personally have been affected by as the former provost of uh, a, a small college in the San Francisco area. So um, I'm going to go ahead and transition to our next slide. So um, I want to make sure I introduce our our wonderful. Uh, participants and panelists today. We have Randy Ruttenberg from Fairmount Properties, and I want to thank Randy for being a sponsor of this webinar. We have Gary Stocker, who is, uh, this is his second webinar for Chell. We had a really great discussion um, about, uh, you know, what's next for higher ed, and I think, uh, you know, that really prompted us to push forward on this current initiative we'll be talking about today. And uh, just a, another reminder, if you're just joining us to let us know where you're joining from in the chat and please uh, don't hesitate to put any questions you have in the chat. And then finally, we have Sarah Booth, who is with the peer review portal and Ian, her partner, um, who they're both uh, based in Tasmania. So we thank them for being up so early <laughs> in the morning, which they're they're in the future. They're, they're it's, it's Friday or not Friday, uh, Thursday morning for them. <laughs> so they are uh, definitely uh, troopers for being here. Um, so in any case, um, I am Terry Gibbons and, um, you know, today, uh, if you, you, all of you got our email, but, um, we want really to want to talk about collaboration in higher ed from a practical perspective. You know, what does that mean? How can institutions create economies of scale through regional consortia? Um, and that's the focus because we know that it's much easier for institutions to work together if they're, you know, they're part of the same regions. I know there are some existing consortia out there that are regionally based, but there's also some consortia that are kind of you know, nationwide. And, and we really want to help, help institutions uh, think about uh, collaboration from a regional perspective because there's so many different ways that they can um, you know, basically uh, you know, share different kinds of resources. And we'll be talking about that today. So please do make sure you're looking at the chat if you are just joining us. Um, so we're gonna be exploring the potential for sharing low enrollment courses, developing quality online programs, not in a lot of detail because we only have an hour, but uh, you know, there's lots of different things you can do around providing services, including student success programs and career centers and reducing infrastructure costs. And I, you know, I really wanna emphasize the fact that, well, we're all, our panelists today are all higher ed insiders who are committed to preserving some of the most important institutions in our communities. And it's not just for small colleges, obviously. There's, there's lots of tips here that I think are gonna be just as important for larger institutions. And so um, we will make sure that, uh, that is discussed. And if you have any questions, um, please don't hesitate to let us know. So, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop sharing for just a quick second. Make sure, yes, I want to make sure recording was going. Okay, so um, first of all, I wanna talk just a little bit about the Center for Higher Education Leadership. I know a lot of you who are joining us um, might already know about CHEL, but um, we, are, uh, we provide academic leaders with information. Um, we have a newsletter, we have courses and a supportive community that is designed to help improve management and leadership skills. And so I've been thinking about these issues for a long time and um, you know, I've been the provost of a small institution, Menlo College. So, you know, I want to emphasize that, you know, what we do at Shell, uh, besides providing, providing this community, is, you know, a lot of different components that can help institutions improve their management, their, you know, everything from, um, you know, uh, consultants, which will be a big component of this project we're working on now, um, uh, to our newsletter. Um, we have mentors. So if you're a new administrator, or even if you're going from one administration straight up level to another, if you're a member of CHEL, you have access to our mentors, which include um, other provosts like me, um, people who have expertise in accreditation. And, you know, the, the accreditation issue is really a critical one for me because 
one of the first things I did when we started uh, the Center for Higher Education Leadership a year ago was we created a guide on assessment because, and this is something that Sarah and Ian can talk to as well, um, which is that basically, you know, the, the criteria around assessment and, um, you know, the way we look at our courses and uh, you know, program review, uh, you know, learning objectives, all of that is going through a lot of change because our, our creditors are seeing that, um, you know, we need to be able to provide, um, you know, oops, sorry, clear guidelines for what, what students are learning. So we have course level outcomes, program learning outcomes, institutional learning outcomes, all of that is really becoming important. And so if you haven't looked at it yet, please check out our assessment guide. And then of course, we also have our forums where you can connect with people, other people in higher ed. And um, actually this recording will also be shared as a podcast. So as part of our podcast series. So, um, so you know, I, I just wanna emphasize again that, uh, you know, we are really interested in helping to sustain and, and you know, help see these institutions move forward uh, as we work our way through this crisis, right? It, we know that you're gonna run, be running into financial problems. We know that enrollment's an issue, all of these things. And we really believe that collaboration is very important to all of this because through collaboration, as we will be talking about, there, there's so many different ways to help contain costs, to share resources and so on. So I'm gonna go ahead and hand it off to Randy. So I will stop sharing my screen. And again, if you have questions, um, even as we're going through, please don't hesitate to drop your questions in the chat. Thanks. Great. Go ahead, Randy. Yeah, let me just get set up here. Hey, let me get my screen larger. Okay, so um, thank you so much for um, inviting us into uh, your, the, the webinar today. Um, let me smooth the slide. So who is Paramount Properties? So uh, I founded our, our company 22 years ago. We are 30 professionals. Our platform is through North America. We're a fully integrated company, so we can take projects from uh, conception all the way through completion and operation. Uh, we've got construction, financing, legal, marketing, all kind of under one roof. A hundred percent of what we have done has been in the context of public-private partnerships. So we understand the importance of being a good collaborator, being transparent, um, and being resourceful to try and find um, solutions. Uh, I'd like to talk about some of those, some of those today. So we started uh, creating mixed use developments in around colleges and universities about 20 years ago. So when, when I went to college, small school in Wisconsin, I was super happy if on a Friday night, I could go to 7-Eleven uh, and get a shrink wrap burrito and a six pack of um, old Milwaukee beer. Uh, these days, it's a little bit different for um, students that are looking for sushi and uh, you know organic organic foods and movie theaters and great clothing shops um, and great housing but the schools didn't have the money to to do that themselves so we had a program we built um, several million square feet of mixed-use development um, at the uh, at the edge of the campus to serve as gateways um, into the campus community retail entertainment restaurants, hotels, office, um, not really student housing. We're not a big developer of student housing. We do a lot of niche housing. So for young professionals, for faculty, for empty nesters, workforce housing, um, that um, 
brings brings those folks closer to campus. Uh, and all, all of this is about recruitment and retention, and not only for students, but for faculty and really creating uh, a great experience by providing those types of amenities. And then at the end of the day, these projects do produce revenue streams for our college and university partners. Um, also, from there, we started uh, providing buildings and infrastructure um, to colleges and universities. We've built um, academic buildings, recreation facilities, again, to help with recruitment and retention. Um, you know, whether, whether the challenge was a lack of bonding capacity, um, financial issues, or slower than expected uh, fundraising campaign, we could provide a range of funding options uh, for really schools of a range of endowment and credit, um, credit positions. And those, again, are single academic buildings. What you're seeing here is an entire regional campus we built um, for, for Kent State. Then um, we generate immediate capital, and this is a bit more uh, relevant to, to, to these times. So um, generating immediate capital and revenue streams through the monetization of on-campus facilities or underutilized land. A lot of the schools that we have worked with um, over our 22 years are very land rich. So we're able to uh, either purchase or facilitate the purchase of that land or outlying buildings, um, reposition those for other things and provide um, capital for immediate operational needs to fill gaps in revenue, um, to be able to build future reserves, strengthen endowments and to help satisfy debt obligations. Our um, campus finance team has worked with um, over 200 schools in every conceivable uh, financing or sale leaseback structure out there. And again, um, we've been able to help schools at every spectrum of the credit and endowment position. So, um, you know, unfortunately, um, these days we're, we're dealing with um, campus closures. Um, we certainly hope that that is not uh, an issue for you, but um, you're not alone if you're facing a campus, close, a campus closure. And we certainly have the experience and tools to assist you with this difficult but necessary process. Um, we, all, we all know the challenges um, that we're facing, increased tuition discount rates, smaller pool of 18-year-olds that um, were difficult uh, already. Um, COVID-19 certainly exacerbated a lot of the challenges, but so we can be helpful if you are an operating campus by creating re recruitment and retention tools um, we could help you um, bring to life um, buildings on campus that, but for these solutions, um, you might not be able to, to do. Right now, we're um, working on building a new uh, college of business for school, a performing arts center. We've built um, multiple medical type um, buildings for medical, medical schools, garages, et cetera. So, um, and then, of course, if you are faced with the difficult decision of having, so all those things are kind of helping you to stay open, um, then if, if there are, if there is a decision um, to um, close a campus, we have an entire platform that could help you maximize the sale of um, your your campus your campus assets, so um, I I try to uh, be brief, cover uh, all our services, and I'm happy to answer any questions um, when the time's appropriate. Thank you.
Thanks so much, Randy. That's really great. We'll, we'll get his screen up. Just give us a second here to, to work with the, the technology. <laughs> but yeah, that was fascinated to learn about the work that you do because you know, I've been at a really big institution and then a really small institution. I went from 50,000 students to 750. <laughs> but even at a small campus, I was surprised to see that the impact that uh, property development has on so many different aspects of the campus. So that's sure. great. I, I, I think working with universities for, for so long, so many, we come with a lot of credibility with um, presidents and, and CFOs that um, are glad to serve as reference points for us. So thank you, Terry. Gary, are you ready? I am. Gary? I am ready. Okay, great. Perfect. So it, it's really good Go timing ahead. or really good order. It's a really good order that Terry has set up here because if you listen closely to what Randy shared, it really provides a basis for any small private college, small or large, to get started. And what I want to do now is spend just a couple of minutes offering the mechanism. Keep in mind that what Randy and Fairmount Properties can do is provide the, back, uh, the background piece, the financing piece, both across capital and across the operations. And again, you saw the title for this webinar. Uh, I've added a little of my own version to it. It's not just small colleges, small private colleges are in trouble. It's medium sized as well. And you'll see that as we spend the next couple of minutes going through the model that we have developed to how to keep small and medium sized colleges from failing, which is the objective of all of us, I presume, participating in this phone call. And here's just some key components. And I'm not going to read the bullet points to you. I'm just going to highlight a couple. And the first one is the most substantial. And some of the work that we have done suggests that any kind of alliance, you'll see the types here in a minute, it's not big enough, it's not scalable if it's done in onesies and twosies. Our premise is 10 or more private colleges, and I'll show you some numbers behind that in a minute, need to come together to form some form, some form of alliance. And you can see the essence of this is no college loses its identity. The name remains, the school colors remain, the mascot remains. It's just a form of bringing more than 10 together to form one. A thousand different details in the middle, but that's the essence of what's going on. Endowments stay with the individual college. Um, there's more details behind that. We've seen how small to medium-sized colleges focus on athletics. You leave the athletics alone. Every small and medium-sized college keeps their football team, their basketball team, their lacrosse teams everywhere. And then something I think Terry mentioned earlier, one of the early ways to get this started could start tomorrow. And that is finding ways to share low enrollment upper level courses this fall. For example, the junior level accounting or finance where there's, where there's 10 private colleges teaching three or four students in an upper level accounting course, bring those together, have 30 students participating across 10 colleges. The technology's there, we're doing it right now. And at the upper level um, student, they've had the lower level, lower class level education to go with that. And then lastly is revenue sharing would be allocated based on a bunch of functions. And you can see the ones we have listed are financial, enrollment, and some outcome ratios. These are different examples of the alliance types, and they're beyond the scope of this discussion for today. You've seen all of them mentioned before. I mentioned before. I will note the joint venture. There was an article written by a Michael Goldstein in 2010 called Cracking the Egg. And while the focus on that is mostly on for-profits, it is an excellent model for this large-scale alliance model that we're talking about. But the one piece I do want to spend a moment on is that bottom one and the piece of pie. And let me just quickly share a scenario where there is a college student considering five private colleges and he or she picks one. That one college gets all the tuition revenue, they get all of the fees associated with that student choosing their college, and the other four get nothing. One gets the entire pie, the rest get nothing. If you're looking at a model where you have 10 or more private colleges in some sort of alliance, 
take the same scenario, that student picks the same college, but the other four now share in the revenue to help with their infrastructure costs that would not have normally been the case. So instead of an all or nothing scenario, if you have 10 or more private colleges in this organization, every single student who enrolls in those colleges contributes in some small manner to the overall cost structure. Next slide. And I really wanna focus on the second and third bullet points. We know the pressure that revenue is under. We know the tuition discounting is ridiculously intense. I've got some numbers later on that will scare you. But the second bullet point is the cost piece. And I'm gonna show you an example in a minute of a model we created with 29 private colleges and the cost they incurred in fiscal year 2016, 2017, and how much cash is available to save in that kind of model. And then the last one really is what Randy talked about. And again, if you listen closely, the ability to consolidate capital across organizations is better across more than one than it is with just one. And I see Randy nodding his head in, in, the, in the video screen. So it's something to think about. And that's Terry, while this is a great combination of presenters, a good match all the way, because I know it's coming with Sarah and Ian in a minute too. So here's the example. 2016, 2017, 29 regional private colleges in Illinois and Missouri, a little over $1.5 billion in expenses, comes right out of iPads. And actually here is the raw data. Uh, even though I've hidden some of the rows, there's the 29 colleges, I've taken the names away, but those are the actual results for those colleges. In 2019, you can see the 1.5 billion at the bottom. And while I'm on this spreadsheet, one of the best ways to do this is consolidate um, costs associated with leadership functions. So this is again, those same 29 colleges. I made up the revenues or the incomes, of course, for all those positions. But you can see in row 35 that for all those 29 presidents, if you could save 20% of that by scaling that function across 29, you're looking at $4 million in savings. That's the essence behind the model. To go back to PowerPoint, we can make the case that 29 colleges and an alliance of some sort is way too big. Some of you are sitting in your chairs right now saying, Stalker, no way. Well, let's cut that down by two thirds. Let's assume it's not 30 colleges, 29. Let's assume it's 10. And you can now see the numbers on the right-hand side. That's still serious capital that can be invested in infrastructure, in artificial intelligence, in marketing, in asset consolidation, untold things you can do with that $10 million if you can just scrape a lousy stinking 2% across, you've got capital to do things that none of these standalone colleges can do. And if those don't cause a momentary pause, this one should. And this is data from Forbes. It was published Thanksgiving Eve last year, and it shared all of the financial grades for private colleges across the country. Overall, the grades were awful. But here's the one that really caught my attention. And you'll notice the highlighted words are excess capacity. The first two lines are scary enough, but look at the last two lines that I've highlighted. It effectively says smaller colleges, the, the half of the non-for-profits with enrollment, something less than $1,100, as they wrote this, had 28% capacity and growing. And if any of us took Economics 101, what we have is not very many students chasing a lot of empty chairs, and thus we get the intense pressure on tuition. This one should scare those, those smaller colleges more than anything, because it's an economic reality. It's not gonna change. Pandemic or not, this is an academic, ec economic reality, even before the COVID virus causes problems. You've got to be upfront and honest. There's bad things that are going to happen, bad things that are happening now, and you can see the list on the screen. There are already lots of academic losses. There will be more. Small communities, smaller communities are already being hit harder. They'll be even hit harder. And here's one that I really want to focus on, the third one, because I follow this stuff closely. And every time there is a private or even public college that closes, 
part of the process before that closure or business model changes is the protests. They are loud, they are often, they are serious. And the one that really caught my attention was when Concordia Portland announced their closure, 5,000 students strong earlier this year. Within 24 hours, one of the students at Concordia Portland had filed a class action lawsuit. Serious though it may be, I argue that these kind of protests are simply part of the process. The next bullet talks about alumni. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna follow that that much because we know alumni are loyal. We all love our colleges. We all love to see them do well. And the last one talks about these, these, these alliances in whatever form they take are just going to be really hard to do. However, I quickly add, well, it's one, two, three, and four are gonna happen whether the large scale consolidations take place or not. And so what we do is we take the data from iPads and we've got a basic user app out there. I'll show you a quick look at that in a second. And then we customize leadership reports from all that iPads data. We can essentially provide uh, your organizations with customized comparisons across fields and years that you specify um, quickly because we've consolidated, we've indexed the data, we've made it work. And here's an example of what it looks like. This is my next to last slide. And I've again blanked out the, the uh, colleges. But from the College Viability app, I pulled some colleges from Michigan, Iowa, and Minnesota. And just look at the scary numbers in three of those six columns. Look at the enrollment change. Two-thirds of those colleges from a report I did a couple weeks ago had negative enrollment, not over one year, over six years. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a pattern. Look at the columns on core expenses and core revenues. In most cases, the rate of change in core expenses exceeded the rate of change in core revenues. These colleges spent more than they earned in revenue over the course of six years. That's a trend. And then finally, I'll give you a second look at this slide before I go to my last one, is I have had folks ask me on a regular basis, Gary, just give me a prediction. Which ones are gonna make it, which ones are not? and really hesitant to do that. There's no model that anybody would ever accept. It is a risky proposition to, to do that for the community and college involved, for the students involved and all those. But if you really pressed me and said, Gary, if you had to pick one item, what would it be? And what you see on your screen now, and Terry, this is my last slide, is these are the three private colleges who have most recently either announced their closure or an imminent possibility of such. This data doesn't come from iPads. This data comes from their audited financial statements, and it shows the net cash from operations. And you can see in each and every case, it's a negative number. A single year of negative cash from operations is not itself an indictment, but when you start to see a pattern, this is the one item I would pick and you can't do it in an automated format, you've got to go pull that audited financial statement, and I use the Federal Audit Clearinghouse to show which ones, um, and this is most recently from the fiscal year 2018-2019. Guys, there's a pattern. Terry, I'll turn it back to you. There you go. Okay, thanks, Gary. Let me ahead unmute myself there. I'm typing questions and or answering questions in the chat while we go along. Uh, okay, so I'm going to hand it over to Sarah and Ian, um, and please reintroduce yourselves and tell everybody what you guys are doing. Agreeing with Randy and Gary. Yes, we're both agreeing with Randy and Gary. Um, actually, a point with Randy: we're in Tasmania. It's a regional. It's a, a single state university, and um, one of the ways that the senior executive would measure student retention, particularly because we have um, different campuses and a couple of them are regional, is they would count the number of um, cars in the car park. And that was taken seriously because it was about building a community. Um, and 
uh, Gary's comment about core expenses, one thing that has driven us is in will say that's, to people. That's my role. I couldn't believe you were so accurate, Gary. Was how much do you spend around course accreditation review? And what's uh, their answer? They've got no idea. They've no idea. And also their accounting system, their on costs. They, they have an accounting system which says that we, they're actually charging one thing, but actually it's costing them so much for consultants and all these other areas. Uh, the cost of our education is, and accreditation is, is through the roof. Yes. So what you're saying, Gary, with evidence is so accurate. So am I showing the full screen or only a part of the screen? It's actually, it's actually showing the speaker view. I'm not sure why. But oh, okay, I don't know why either. Um, you may just want to go back to the regular PowerPoint um, screen and do it that way. Sometimes the setup is not exactly right. <laughs> but in any case, yeah, um, there's a lot of overlap between you know, some of the different components we're talking about. There we go. So what we wanted to do is share our experience and how we can support you um, in relation to developing regional college collaboration. Um, Ian will come in, Ian's role is CEO of our company and also he does the business development and the business side and the IT development. So um, it's been critical for us and he leaves all academic to me. So I'm quite happy about that. Makes two of us. It's not moving. Okay, next. Okay, so just to give you a quick overview, what we would like to do is um, show you the portal itself. But just to give you some information about us, um, we have one pro product, which is Peer Review Portal. It's a cloud-based review management system. And one of the key gaps we found in the sector in my previous role at the University of Tasmania, I used to work with the Provost and the Deputy Vice-Chancellor was bringing data together and being able to look at whether it was a course accreditation, professional accreditation, a school review, um, student reviews, etc. What could we do with the data and how could we use it for improvement? And so we have developed the portal through sector um, feedback. It has been, what, six, seven years um, process. We have a range of different review types um, that we have developed in collaboration with the sector and we have four key services, which we'll go into. But it's more about um, review management service, benchmarking service, external review of assessment and academic policy review. And all of these are based basically around collaboration. Now, some key facts about the portal. Well, I suppose what we should say is, in, in keeping with uh, Randy and Gary, we think the cost of education, the cost to do all this was ludicrous. When we first started to do a benchmarking project, it was, say, uh, for example, $7,000 Australian, which in, in your case uh, was about, uh, what, $989, was it? No, yeah, that's about right, yeah. About $4,600, I think, is in American dollars. Uh, so we've reduced the price hugely on a big project. But on every day using this, um, the prices, which we'll go into shortly, where it says $90 there, which is about, what, $59? $57. So the costs have been reduced marginally. So I ask you people, what's it costing all these institutions to do accreditation. I asked anyone, and I, I come across this regularly, the cost of it is huge. We'll go into it later, but you'll see the difference in costs. So we've currently got 187 higher education institutions registered on the portal um, from nine countries, and there's over um, 1,750 registered users. And what our focus is, and this is why we really enjoy working with Chell, is about collaboration and collaborating across networks. What institutions are interested in now is about sector level data, not just institutional level data, but how do they compare and how can they improve and use the evidence to um, use for evidence-based decision making. 
Um, what we also uh, have is it's been approved by our um, by TEXA, which is our quality assurance and standards agency, as an optional support mechanism. And we we've got a, a meeting with TEXA this afternoon. Um, that's Ian's role. In relation to the cost benefits, these are some of the things that we just briefly mentioned in terms of it's an automatic review system, it's confidential and secure because it's in the cloud, um, if there's a data warehouse in Australia, there's no duplication of effort and this came out we were watching the chat room about duplication of that effort. Um, what we are in discussions with Texa and also with um, CPA accountants, body. you can basically add TEXA or CPA or your accreditors or a professional accredited agencies to the portal to actually see the review. So there's no duplication of effort. So everyone can see um, that reporting mechanism. We can connect um, with teams internally, externally, networks. The system links to your own online systems. In fact, they can see it right now. You can, if you've got a phone right now, just hit P on Google. It'll come up straight away. Um, it works on a user-based system. Um, we, we get the comments quite regularly when they ask Ian how much it costs institution-wise. We say, well, it's only $90 plus GST for each review. That's Australia. And, that's a, and, and so um, there's no infrastructure costs or redevelopment costs. Um, and so it will support your accreditation. If in fact then you want to use consultants and whatever down the track you can. But some what happens, they were using it in a way where it was costing the institutions a huge amount of money with no uh, thought where it goes. So when you said, you mentioned, I noticed you mentioned alumni, Gary. Yeah, they're passionate about uh, putting in the money. But where's it going? I'm sure some of those people, be it like you, Randy, you're putting into your uh, areas, but you'd certainly want to know, are you getting value for it? You know, really what's happening with that money uh, to, to support your institution? So if we can work as a team, like we're talking about, then I think far better would be far better use of resources and far better going forward for the various colleges and universities. So what we were just talking about in terms of collaborating with TEXA um, and CPA. So we work with also not just the institutions, but the regulatory agencies to be able to set up um, their own templates, etc. I mean, Ian's quite direct. Um, and one of his things he said- I know you're smiling, Terry. TEXA was, they said, oh, our, si our system's secure. And they've got a very clunky, um, review to, um, portal, which they admit. They, bottom line, they endeavoured to tell us that uh, we'd have to go through all the government regulators uh, for security. Uh, I said, well, it's nice of you to say so, give me that offer, but in fact, we don't want it. Our security is far better than yours anyway, and we won't need it. We'll give you permission to use ours. Our, our security is quite clever. Yeah. Now, in terms of uh, this project and thinking about how do we work collaboratively. We'll give you a shared definition of benchmarking. Um, and there's um, hundreds of different um, definitions out there, but we're actually interested in a structured collaborative learning process. Um, so it's about that comparative sharing of data and good practice and also evidence. So we usually, with any of our benchmarking projects, and we've lost count, it's over, <laughs> hundreds. Yeah. Um, it's about actually sharing good practice and, and learning from um, what has been shared, but also using it um, to drive um, change. Now, this is an example of some of the projects we've worked with. It's um, usually across networks, Advanced HE in the UK, we had 20 universities involved. Um, I here is an independent higher education um, agency more, more or private, private or yes. independent colleges um, from small to large. Uh, we've been in um, projects where there's 33 involved. Um, so, and this one was with New Zealand, UK. So, and the one we've got at the moment is with 1HE, our global partner. 
in terms of looking at academic revising, first year, um, year transition, retention and student wellbeing. And that currently has 42 institutions involved across seven countries. Now, just to show you, you can have both sector level data, but you can also have institutional data. We did a, a review, um, just completed it um, with a college in the U UAE. They have a um, strategic mission in their country to improve the employability of their own um, people. And because they get so many foreigners te um, teaching, et cetera, and, and working there, they actually want to build employability in their own country. So they are aligning it to their universities and colleges. So we did a strategic review. We, 16 colleges? Uh, 18 campuses, 18 campuses. Um, and 65 program coordinators. So we were able to give them an employability health check, um, identifying areas of good practice improvement and where they needed to work. One of the key things about the portal, it also uploads evidence. So you have to have an evidence-based approach around um, um, within a review. Now, we were involved in a collaborative government project, and this is where we started, was about um, developing up peer review of assessment networks. And at that stage, um, the Australia was going towards external referencing um, or external assessors being mandatory. And that's now in place. So what we looked at was how can we do this collaboratively, collaboratively as networks? And you can see there are sector tensions. And this is what we see still across um, the sector is collaboration versus competition, a light touch approach. So in relation to the feasibility study for a re regional college collaboration, what we're finding is there are significant costs internally when there's a summative approach, um, looking at all types of institutional data and accreditation. Now, if it is a formative collaborative approach, you can have an institutional health check. However, then you can share it as sector data um, and be able to share um, course accreditation as Terry was talking about. Now, in terms of the portal, I won't go into it, but uh, Curtin University have 50,000 50, uh, students um, and they're using the portal for their curriculum review management system. So just quickly, can you see the screen with the portal? No, we're not. We're still in the PowerPoint. Okay, thank you. So I think you have to end the... PowerPoint, there we go, yeah. Okay, so for new users, you sign in here, existing users. So just to show briefly, this is uh, an institutional dashboard. Um, and what you can do is be able to just show you quickly. A project where you can add collaborators. So this could be your crediting body, etc. Um, and you can get various reports. Now, Curtin, if I go back. You also get a, um, a view of Tasmania when you go to our website. So, <laughs> so one of the things with the portal is that each project has a, a unique URL that you can cut and paste. So you can see here, these are all the courses, all the courses for Curtin. Um, they have it on their web page. It's a public document and they send out for broadcast for reviewers across their disciplines. 
So they're meeting the standards and it, it's able to inform them for course accreditation, institution accreditation, external mm -hmm. referencing and assessment. So that gives you um, the example there. Um, and that, that's basically about it. We can also um, bring up calibration reports um, and executive summaries, um, such as this, when you've completed the reviews of all the institutions, <clears throat> or you can basically auto stack them and then come up with a report. I think we'll leave that and any questions. Over back to you, Terry. Great, thanks, Sarah. So, you know, I think this, the, I was really excited when I first saw the, the peer review portal, because I know there are a lot of different uh, accreditation management pro software and programs out there. But um, I thought that this was a really unique approach, low cost approach to it, which is, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is, you know, we, we, we are all trying to find ways to do these things with quality, but also in a way that is affordable. Um, but it sh yeah, I think this shows how you could pull to get pool the you know the courses from a particular you know, set of institutions you know compare them make sure there's um, you know uh, uh, the assessment plans are are they're being utilized are similar and so on so I think it's a, a really great way to to approach it but I want to come back to a question um i have to scroll up to, to remember yeah so Karen would like us to talk about how to get leadership to chat but um you know what's happening right now in higher and it's been happening to a certain extent but i don't think i think the crisis current crisis is really and that's why you know, we really want to jump in and, and start talking to campuses now because this it's happening you know the, the, what we thought was going to happen in the next five to ten years has actually been accelerated and happening now because of the potential for uh financial risk and financial costs you know losses really going into the fall semester and we're already we've already seen a few institutions um that have announced that they're closing uh, san francisco art institute uh in my area notre dame de namer um but anyway gary do you want to elaborate on on what you had to say there and then this really is, there's a negative component when you talk about a college closing, but really what we're talking about is the first mover opportunity. Just try and envision in your own worlds, if your organization was no longer a single parochial organization, but part of a group of 15, the advantages you would have in marketing, the advantages you would have in offering courses and degrees um, and finding talent because you'd be able to pay them more. So a big part of this is, is just envision a scenario where you choose not to, your organization chooses not to, and your regional competitors, say in a two or three or four or five state area, some 15 or 20 of those come together, you're not gonna last very long. So now this is really the, the, the environment. Use this acute trauma to push what might not normally be the case over five years to happen in a matter of months, because somebody will. I don't know who, but somebody will, Terry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think it's, uh, yeah, there, there's various ways to, uh, to look at this. I mean, it, partly it's, it's an opportunity. I mean, I, it's, a, it's obviously this is not the best time <laughs> to want to be thinking about this because, of course, there's the, the emotional and other aspects of it. But <clears throat> as institutions, you know, it's our responsibility to step up and say, how are we going to make the best? Somebody mentioned, you know, having this be student-centric. And that's exactly, you know, my approach is, you know, how do we set up things up in a way that provides the best opportunity for our students. And I wanted to mention, make sure I mentioned, um, you know, we have these demographic shifts. If you guys follow Brian Alexander, who he was one, uh, at one of our first webinars, he's a futurist who has been looking at these trends and, and talks a lot about um, the different scenarios for higher ed. And, and that's kind of his job as a futurist, but also just, you know, looking at the demographic shifts, you know, we, we all know there's a decline in the number of students graduating from high school, but to be, you know, to be honest, the way I look at it is there's a lot of opportunity out there, especially now, there's a lot of people who are going to want to be, you know, get new training, come back and finish their degree, um, 
you know, all of those kinds of things that could potentially create even more opportunity to bring students in. And the question is, you know, how do you set yourself up to be prepared for that kind of approach to education? And I know if you're, if you spend any time at all on LinkedIn, there's, I know there's a bunch of us who do, but there's a lot of discussions going on that I don't, necessarily think a lot of us who were kind of coming out of the faculty and, and so on are, are paying much attention to. And so I think that, um, you know, it's important to start paying attention to the where people are looking at, at for innovation. And um, so one of the components of this, you know, collaboration is to look at innovative ways to approach uh, teaching and learning for students and student success and ways to create courses that are getting the outcomes that we want to see, you know, outcomes-based education. Um, you know, there's just so much that, that can be uh, considered in this process. And so this is just the beginning, right, for us. We are all, you know, committed to helping any institution that wants our help. Um, and, you know, like I said, this, we, we know that there are some critical components of this, but we're also very open to, you know, different ideas that might, um, you know, be, be help, be able to help an institution, you know, get, and a set of institutions in particular, get to the, that, that next level of, uh, you know, serving students, basically. So, let's see. Um, I want to make sure I come back to our other questions. And if anybody else has questions, please feel free to jump in. Um, and I know there was, uh, um, did anybody else, Randy or Sarah, want to jump in on the leadership mindset issue? Okay, I think Gary and I covered it. Um, and uh, sorry, Taryn, I'm trying to go back and see if I missed any questions. So Terry, while you're looking, let me just go to something that, that uh, Sarah talked about a minute ago. She was showing on their application that list of courses that was being audited for some kind of accreditation process. There's another use for that. And we talked a couple of minutes ago about colleges, um, private or public, sharing courses. Mm -hmm. But what better way than to have a list of than the courses that Sarah showed you in that portal across 10 or 15 or more organizations? You would have a powerful data source to be able to do learning AI that you can't do as a single 500 or 1,000 student college, Terry. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And you know, I want to mention, you know, we, we've kind of touched on some of these issues around assessment and so on. And I know every, we all deal with different accreditors out here on the West in the California. We deal with the WASC and their SACs and various other accreditors. And so one of the things that, you know, will make this, um, you know, interesting is working with the uh, different accreditors because they're, they're going to have different approaches to, to this. But I know that uh, certainly with WASC, we had a lot of emphasis on assessment. And um, that's why I was excited about the peer review portal because it allows um, for ways to be tracking those and then, you know, again, the nice thing is with the collaboration, you could be tracking those across campuses. So the faculty, and again, not only does this have to be student centric, it has to be faculty centric. And one of the ways to think about that um, is that you can bring these things together. So if you, you have, you can even bring the faculty together around particular courses and say, okay, we're going to come up with our program learning and course learning objectives. Um, you know, together and then have those on the portal so that everybody has access to them and can say, okay, do, do these courses meet the requirements of the collaboration of the consortium? And we're throwing, you know, the terms alliance, collaboration, consortium, they all have different, you know, they actually they have similar meanings, but, you know, what we're talking goes beyond just the typical consortium because, for example, there's a consortium in Washington, D.C. of all the institutions in the area. Well, you know, I, there's not a lot of activity there, <laughs> um, you know, it's not like they're sharing courses, but then you can look at uh, the uh, um, Claremont colleges, uh, Pomona and, and uh, Harvey Mudd, Claremont, uh, etc. And they have a very interesting setup where student, you know, you can take classes at the different institutions. It's, it's similar to what we're talking about, but Gary, you want to follow up? 
Yeah, and when you think about the different kinds of consortium, and I know that was one of the questions on the list, keep in mind that any type of alliance, a small to medium-sized private colleges chooses to pursue, must make a material impact on their finances. One of the alliance options was shared services. Well, all right, you can share the cost of ink pens and, and copier paper and that kind of stuff. Not gonna make a difference, not gonna make a material difference. So when you talk about an alliance, it has to be aggressive to make a material difference. It just can't be nickels and dimes. That's right. And, you know, it's not just you know, taking a, a class here and there. Um, it really has to focus on some of these other com components that we, we've talked about. And, you know, I think Jeff is asking about a group with a common goal. I think the common goal is to create a quality learning environment for students, right? That's just, that's the basic mission. Um, you know, I mean, at Menlo College, we went through so many different permutations of our uh, you know, mission statement, but the, the, the critical, you know, that is, we change lives, right? You know, at UT Austin, it was, you know, um, you know, yeah, gosh, now I'm going to forget, but the Walter Cronkite, um, <laughs> thing we had, but, uh, what starts here changes the world. Um, and, you know, but I, I really liked what we had at Menlo College, which is, you know, we change lives, you know, we, we really help students from a variety of backgrounds. And that's the other compo key component of demographic shift is that the students who are coming into these colleges, maybe, you know, that's another financial aspect of this as well. They, they may meet, need more financial aid and more financial support. Um, you know, they, there's need to be more infrastructure for you know, courses for them so that they, they can be successful. And I, I would want us to all take a really close look at graduation rates. Um, and so on. And um, so it goes beyond just looking at courses. It's how to create an environment where students can succeed, graduate in a reasonable amount of time with, you know, less uh, loans to deal with. You know, all these different aspects of it have to be uh, part of the discussion. So Sarah, did you have, we have a few minutes left. Did you have yeah, any last thoughts? In relation to what you were saying, Terry, and what we found, one example we had with a collaboration was with IHEA. And in the last two years, we did one project with them with 33 institutions, and they reviewed 200 subjects in three months. And it worked on a quid pro quo basis. And what we did was we developed teams. So there was a business and information team. So we would catch up by Zoom and do the matchmaking between each institution. What it brought out was the collaboration at the faculty discipline level, what you talk about, Terry. And that's what, um, and now they've, now they start to collaborate. They're going, right, oh, I didn't know. So they're, they're taking out the competition and seeing the co collaboration and how important it is for um, reviewing their courses, but also um, there's greater collaboration between them after the projects. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, Randy, we've got two minutes. You want to jump in with any last thoughts? I think, um, thanks, Terry. I, I, as, as these collaborations um, evolve, some may lead to mergers. We're working with um, uh, within an area, there are three Catholic colleges within about a three-mile, three-and-a-half-mile uh, radius. And there probably only needs to be one Catholic college. So we're helping them assess uh, land values, asset values, so that, um, you know, if two of those shed their campuses and merge, they come out with with um, no debt and some additional capital to apply to um, the new combined institution. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's exactly the kind of thing we're looking at. All right, Gary, we got one minute left. You get the last word. Terry, I am taking the rest of the day off. Thank you very much. I appreciate <laughs> the participants. I'll let you wrap things up. All right, perfect. So I'm probably going to take the rest of the afternoon off as well. But we, we are very much open to talking to anybody who's interested in uh, you know, pursuing this further. So you know, please reach out. Um, you can email me, uh, tgivens at higher ed leads, 
or Jordan at Higher Lead Leads, and we'll set up a, a meeting for you guys. And we really appreciate you joining us today. It's been a, a really interesting discussion, and I, I hope that we touched on some areas that uh, you're even more interested in, because we'll be pursuing these as we go forward. And there's lots more to discuss, so watch out for our next few uh, webinars. We have one coming up next week, which is our regular Thursday webinar at uh, 9 a.m. And we'll be discussing uh, digital content management, which is another thing that could be done on a collaborative basis. So thanks to everybody and have a wonderful afternoon.